All right, welcome to Truth and Fiction. You're here today with your host, Josiah. And Steve is here. And we are talking today about the Harry Potter. Uh, we're getting a, sort of the introduction to the Harry Potter saga, jumping in a little bit in the middle mm-hmm. with The Order of the Phoenix. All right. Terrific, terrific uh, novel. We were mentioning before we got started about J.K. Rowling's absolute genius uh, in creating this universe and creating these characters and the metaphoric qualities of this work and the oh, incredible character work is brilliant. Uh, is uh, yeah, nothing short of brilliant. So she deserves, in my opinion, all of the success, uh, financial and otherwise, that she <laughs> has uh, achieved. Uh, through this uh, this amazing brainchild. It's, it's incredible. Without so. a doubt. It is rich with symbolism. If you are in the uh, process of learning how to explore symbolism and analyze uh, fiction, images, uh, archetypes, these stories are rich, very rich with them. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, we can... Um, I think I'll ask Josiah to kind of get us started. We usually start with a little bit of a little bit of an overview. Um, this one we could maybe just kind of give a sense of where Harry is up until this point when this uh, when this novel begins. Um, we've been with Harry since he was uh, first discovers who he is, um, and we've watched him go through a couple of years, a few years at Hogwarts. And uh, where are we now when uh, uh, this uh, novel begins, Josiah? As far right. as Harry's journey is, is yeah. as succinctly as we can. I know there's a right. lot there, but uh, let's see what we can do there. <laughs> it's quite the saga. So this is, uh, he's entering year five, uh, which I think is something on the equivalent of a junior year, sophomore, junior year of high school. He's uh, 14, 15-ish. And he's um, he's had some he's had quite a few experiences with Hogwarts. Hogwarts has become his home. He's he's discovered this magical world that is so such a contrast to his stark uh, relatively ignored life at the Dursleys. The Dursleys has become this uh, it, it very more and more feeling like a prison whereas before it was his it was his uncomfortable home but it was a home nonetheless. He's right. he's coming to reject it completely. Right. He's really finding himself in the magical world. Uh, he's seeing his place and he's coming to accept himself as this potentially significant figure although he's not really sure what his part is to play yet mm-hmm. um, and he's he's realizing he's discovering the beauty of his friends right uh, he's really accepted them as as sort of the the best things that ever happened to right, him. right. I think he's also accepting Dumbledore's guidance as uh, it looks to Dumbledore as a true as mentor a, yes and, uh, and, and someone who sees is, him for who he is right this is someone who I uh Who's is with me? Who can trust me? Who I can trust him? He's so. even maybe perhaps a little over dependent on Dumbledore as a mm. as a mm-hmm. guide. Yes. For for and understandably so for a guy who's essentially been ignored his whole life, mm-hmm. never been shown any sign of hope that he would amount to anything. Like his the Dursleys are just absolutely they degrade him at every sure. opportunity. Right. Right. And then even I was thinking as you said that that even a a healthy pulling away of ones from one's mentors actually. Not a bad, not a bad right. thing. There's anyway, a, so sort of that's the need sort of for a, that in yeah. Every journey, I mean, that, and that does sort of occur a little bit later. But at this point, as you said, uh, understanding the f- importance of the friends, understanding who, getting to understand himself a little bit better, um, understanding or at least coming to terms with his relationship with Dumbledore, all of these things right. are are sort of in motion as yeah. this novel begins. And you're starting to see that he's he's not like super exceptional, but he is a gifted wizard. You mm-hmm. know, he's uh, he's a, an exceptional broom flyer as the, as the mm-hmm. seeker in the Quidditch team for Gryffindor. He's managed to produce a Patronus charm a few times, and that's kind of, it, it would be, it's a more advanced skill. He's showing some proficiency mm-hmm. in, uh, despite not being the most studious student and for having more than a few interruptions in his studies. <laughs> Just a few. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, why don't we set up where we are, right? So that's a great little backstory, and we didn't get into any little specifics, and nor do I think we really need to. Um, but what about when this story begins? Because the world is in a is an interesting place at the beginning of the Order of the Phoenix, isn't it? Yeah, you could, it's almost the, the deep breath before the plunge, as they say in Lord ah, of the Rings. Mm. The uh, it's it starts out with this overly sunny, hot, muggy day in uh, in England um, on you know, four, number four Privet Drive. And Harry is sitting here feeling very alone. He's being completely ignored. He's, uh, but the, his friends are being are constantly telling him in their letters that they can't. They've been instructed not to tell him about anything that's going on. 
He's very isolated. You have no idea why. He's just experienced the loss of his good friend at the Triwizard Tournament. He's experienced uh, the trauma of actually, I mean, so he hears his parents' voice in this battle with Dumbledore right at the end of the previous, uh, sorry, battle with Voldemort at the end of the previous um, book. And, and he's so he's grieving, but he's super alone. He's isolated. His family, his uh, immediate family there hates him. Mm. He's, uh, I, I mean, I think isolation is, is really the key emotion that he's feeling sure. along with just trying to figure out how to process grief. Right, right. And he's very much looking forward to being back at Hogwarts. Right, back with that community that he's right. grown to love and appreciate. Sure. And it's like very much at this lowest point that he, he gets attacked, mm-hmm. which... It just seems to be how life hits sometimes, you know, in, in these waves. Mm. But these, he gets this Dementor attack, uh, which are, these are the guards of Azkaban, and, and their prime method of attack is essentially discouragement. And they, they will discourage people to death. They suck all the life and the happiness out of you. And, and I think it's, it's a pretty beautiful uh, visual image of, of a deep depression sure. that sets on suddenly right and and the ultimate uh, effect of that depression is is death sure, so you know, yeah. the whole death eater kiss is is right. the end of that experience but yeah. well but absolutely Harry, uh, absolutely uh, underscoring the idea of the of the debilitating and the helplessness oh, of depression and what that can mean if one gives in or you know just uh, succumbs to it um, right. how vulnerable we can be oh, as gosh. you mentioned the part where you know it's a perfect time for a dementor attack when right. harry's at his lowest so really looking to ourselves and say you know when we are in this spot yes it's a horrible 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 place to be but i think it's important that we understand our vulnerability when we're right. in that spot that yeah. at that point if we're in that if we're in that time we are very susceptible to things that are um uh, that uh, I guess I want to say like healthy-minded people are are, are less susceptible, yeah, a little more to. resilient too. Yes, so it, it it really, like I said, it really underscores the vulnerability. Yeah, of the, and to take that one level deeper, even the I just realized like Harry is most vulnerable in this particular moment because the people who were actually watching out for him, people who have been tailing him and following him. So even though he felt isolated, he was never really isolated until that moment, mm-hmm. um, and and so there's this. <laughs> Rawlings sets up this this sort of visual metaphor of you know some when someone is really isolated when they actually are alone then that's when they're most likely to be destroyed by this there you go and and the fact that harry isn't even though he feels like it is in fact his saving grace there are people there around him Mm -hmm. and it's this memory of ron and hermione that actually enable him to summon the patronus charm because the key part of this this charm that banishes the the Dementors is the ability to to fixate on a happy memory. Something positive. Yes. Sure. yes. Power, your most powerful positive memory that evokes the most happy emotion and to focus on that. It's it almost, is your best defense. Yeah, it's your best defense, <laughs> right. right? And, and yeah. for him, that's, that's Ron and Hermione. Mm-hmm. And that's such a, I think that's beautiful. I mean, right. that's our best defense in these times of, of deep weakness and, and emotional uh, low points are... Is, is remembering that a we're not alone right. no matter how much it feels like and looks like it there are people who mm-hmm. care about you and, and who would miss you and who you do care about really in a, in a deep way uh, and and to be thankful for that and right. to, to fo- focus on those things and and it can really banish those the the you know the, it's the best thing it's the best hope we have best you know? hope we have I agree. even if we're yeah. hanging on to it like a, a mast in the wind you know in a <laughs> right. storm yes um, and I think it's, you know, worth pointing out that, you know, we talked about Rowling's genius. Um, you know, remember that the beginnings are always hugely important. So, you know, I always encourage people when they start a book to really don't start with it just sort of a half, you know, like, you know, with music playing in the background or stuff going on. Don't start a book that way mm. because your, your, your first few pages are really going to set up for you. Um, a lot of the things that you're going to see throughout the book. A great author is going to plant all kinds of stuff in the beginning there. So I think we see that with Rowling in, in this in this opening chapter here. So what do you think um, are those key elements that she brings well, in right off? Well, just like what we, I just think it's what we just talked about, this idea of isolation, this idea of understanding um, friends, understanding the importance of friends, understanding um the vulnerability of loneliness, um, the vulnerability that we place ourselves in when we are isolated. Um, 
and because she will continue to explore those mm-hmm. and and show uh, in, in a very simplified way, I'll say it this way: um, bad things happen to Harry when he is alone, right. <laughs> and I'll put alone in quotation marks. And better things happen to him, and he's much more successful when he is employing his his uh, you know the people who care about him: Dumbledore, yeah. Sirius, Ron, Hermione. Yeah. Um, so. Um, and so, he does end up, he does set up like as far as this particular story, that that loneliness is the key to the transformation he gets throughout this this movie. He kind of accepts and really leans into the friendships, like you're saying. Right. Uh, Luna, Luna has this great line in the movie. I don't remember if it's there in the book exactly, but she uh, comes in and she's talking about how, you know, if I were the Dark Lord, I, I think I would want you to feel alone because you're not as much of a threat by yourself if you don't... <laughs> <laughs> and and he kind of like sees it in that moment. Oh yeah, like obviously, like, <laughs> obviously, getting myself all isolated like this is is not right. any good. And and it's playing into the, it, it's it's only serving the enemy. It's right. only serving right. the darkness to to isolate oneself. Right. Um. I think it's interesting. I just thought of this: is that when he is attacked by the um, by the um, dementors. dementors He's not alone, right? He's right. with his cousin, right? Uh-huh. And then is with him on the attack too, who actually help is saved by being with Harry. So, right. you know, like it, it, he's not alone. He has someone there to protect him. So right. didn't have to, we didn't have to include him in there. Raleigh didn't have to include the, cu- what's his cousin's name? The heavy uh, boy? Yeah, Big D. <laughs> Big D. <laughs> um, so if you think about a conscious choice by Rowling to have him, with his cousin. Yeah, uh, I think it is Dudley. There we go. Sort of Dudley uh, Dudley. <laughs> Dudley um, that sort of, you know, again, puts it on a, a you know, a little deeper level yeah. too. The like, same kind of thing we're talking about. Right. You could you can inadvertently Oh, go away. <laughs> you can inadvertently um save other people too you know Absolutely. even if they don't have any kind of good relationship there's right they're, they're not they're not friends at all. In they fact, have this a is the blood connection, but that is it. That is and it. It's only barely. Right. Know? Yeah. yeah sort of sort of family right <laughs> uh, and that's and that that connection actually uh, so we Rowling explores those connections quite a bit in this film these, these mm-hmm. blood connections and, and sort of exploring where do one's loyalties right. lie there we go so you see we yeah. had that seed planted early <laughs> yeah. on you know so if we didn't yeah so just it's, those things are I think really, really good to pay attention to all of those details which might seem seemingly irrelevant mm-hmm. um, most likely there for a reason especially in those opening chapters or those opening scenes um, so always good to pay close attention there um, yep, yep. so, so uh, Steve what, what are some of the some of the main themes you feel like this this story explores well I think that one of the things is that sticks out to me the or stands out to me the most is Harry's eventual discovery and acceptance of who he is. Um, and it, it echoes something that we've talked about on our podcast um, repeatedly, or at least more than once, mm-hmm. is this idea of embracing the shadow that is uh, within or using the shadow or this remember it starts with an understanding or an acceptance of right. or a recognition a recognition yeah and and sort of the absence of rejection so you know you whether go. what you do with it kind of changes via right. the person but you have to be willing to not uh, bury that there part you of you that you don't yeah. like so maybe embracing is a little strong um but uh but uh, how'd you say it? a not yeah. rejecting a, yeah, non- a, a non-rejection of it, which is yeah. a sort of a, a light acceptance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have a, but we do, um, but we, I think that's a big one. Would you agree? Oh about yeah, that? So, uh, definitely. And, and I don't think he really figures out who he is in this one, mm-hmm. but, but he's, he really, he doesn't know who, where he comes from. So he has yeah. at this point, almost no knowledge of his actual parentage, what their relationships were like. What, what kind of people they were. Mm-hmm. He's got a little bit of an idealized picture of them because he's only heard really positive things yes. from a few people. Like he's she's got beautiful. Eyes. He's yeah, she's beautiful. He's right. an incredible he was a good guy, uh, whatever. Uh, uh, wizard, yes, mm-hmm. yes. She don't know a whole lot yet. So mm-hmm. he's he doesn't know much about his parentage. He doesn't know about much of his genealogy. He doesn't really know where he comes from. So he he gets a much better idea of that in this story. He does via that the Order of the Phoenix. There's this moment where he's presented with a picture of the original Order of the Phoenix, and in the movie it's. Uh, it's actually Sirius who gives him this picture and he kind of talks about some of the members and this this character died a week after this picture was taken. And these two, you know, these are Neville's parents and they were they were tortured until they lost their sanity. And mm-hmm. like he, he realizes that <clears throat> 
part of his legacy that that he actually chooses for himself, which I think is important to to note, is that he he intentionally decides that uh, the Order of the Phoenix and that Sirius will be his family. Those that will be his legacy. He mm-hmm. sort of takes that on as uh, his legacy. Yeah, these yeah. heroes who are willing to sacrifice themselves unto right. something more meaningful. Very good. Yes. And so his parents are among that group, mm-hmm. and so that he he knows that he has some tie to that. Mm-hmm. But he he very much very much chooses that, and uh, because he doesn't he doesn't necessarily have any tie to anyone at this point. Like mm. he really could align himself, and just like with the Sorting Hat in the beginning, right. where he like he's talking to himself, Gryffindor, Gryffindor, anything but <laughs> Slytherin. Anything, you know, he doesn't want to be he doesn't want to be the villain, right. and so he he sort of chooses for himself Gryffindor, even though the hat figures he would have be just as good in, in Slytherin, sure. and he he would have would have been a great wizard either way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, so there's that, uh, he is, he is growing along that journey of finding himself. Mm-hmm. He's already accepted his, his magicalness, uh, that has been an issue for him in the past. He's accepted his, his fame as a part of who he is. Right. He's accepted the fact that he has <clears throat> this somewhat special amount of wealth, which is kind of hard to deal with yeah. when his closest friends don't really have right, any. Right, Juxtaposed against the relative poverty of the right. Weasleys. Right. You know, and yeah. one might say, hey, well, the best thing you could have done would have been just give them the money. Like, mm-hmm. well, you know, what's wrong? Reject that part of yourself for their benefit. And it's like, well, maybe, you know, maybe that's the right thing, but maybe not yet. You know, who, yeah. who knows? Yeah. Like that, it's, it's yet to be explored exactly what that is, but it has to be accepted first in order for that not just to be an emotional decision, that's you know that creates other problems sure you know there's a lot of weirdness that happens when money gets involved but that's a tangent i don't really (laughs) want to explore with this one (laughs) well along with his uh discovery or acceptance or non-rejection of who he is we also um see him understanding and accepting some hard truths about about life in general and about the serious nature of uh what's happening yeah. around him at Hogwarts and mainly around uh, Dumbledore and about these uh, visions or I- ideas that he's having. Right, of Voldemort, yeah. Right. So there's a, this darkness seems to be speaking to him in some way, and I'll, again, I'll put that in quotation marks. So um, maybe we could talk about that a little bit because that moves us into more of the plot. We talked about the beginning, mm-hmm. um, and why don't we take it from there and see if we can maybe talk about how um, that understanding, that acceptance of hard truths sort of starts to f- uh, fall into place there. Yeah. I think one of the one of the things that I'll sort of set you up with is this idea that we have Voldemort is, is out there and he's real and Harry knows that. He knows that he, he knows that Voldemort is out mm-hmm. there and he's real and he's returned. But yeah. there's a large percentage of the popular the wizarding population that does not want to accept that truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, really do a a a, 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 a noble job of denying um, what's right. happening there. Uh-huh. So why don't we talk about that? Um, about the what it means to accept hard truths and what it means to reject hard truths. Yeah, and why might why someone might do that? Because right. it seems it seems silly looking on the outside that okay, why why is the minister of magic? so insistent on uh, denying and discrediting Harry and discrediting Dumbledore. He's going through all this effort actually to intentionally, uh, it's an intentional blindness. Deny a threat of uh, of Voldemort. A valid, credible threat. I mean, Dumbledore is sort of the undisputed most powerful wizard known to that those people mm-hmm. and yet and he's saying this is this has happened this is real you know, and, yes. they, and they've already had someone die and there's a eyewitness claiming that this is what happened so it's it's not obvious why he would go through so much effort uh, to deny the truth and you kind of in this conversation that happens with Sirius and Remus they they talk about how how it's possible that he's just uh, the the truth of acknowledging of Voldemort's return is is a is actually a much harder reality mm-hmm. than than the possibility that maybe that's not what took place, mm-hmm. and and the implications of of that if it were true would mean that 
uh, Fudge is about to go into the most difficult time politically that he has ever experienced. Right, right. And that he doesn't want to deal with that. Well, that's, so, just, well, that's just basic human nature, right? right? I mean, right. are There's we going to... There's plausible explanations. Right, right. Are we looking at two trails and one of them has flame all over it and darkness <laughs> and screaming? We have one that leads to a you know nice peaceful garden. Right. We're going to choose the peaceful garden. You know, I mean, no one, no one you know, knowingly and wittingly yep. wants to put themselves in danger. And so it, on yeah. a very you know, uh, evolutionary level. I mean, it, it's, it's not, un, it's not unusual right. that fudge it's is in denial. Okay. In denial. Exactly. Right. And it's not, a, it's, it's important to, so there's two things I think that are really important to, to be aware of that, to bring it out of the, the metaphorical language of the book. It's like, uh, on one is the, the fact that Remus and Sirius gave fudge the benefit of the doubt. You know, they, they didn't accuse him of malevolence. First off, they weren't assuming he was some pawn of Voldemort. You know, and I think very often I hear people saying things that I know are false or I know are, are ideologically driven that maybe are half-truths or mm-hmm. they, they have severe implications or whatnot and, and mm-hmm. that I don't agree with. And and it's my responsibility to, to like Remus and Sirius, give them the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. try to see things from their perspective, try and understand that maybe what they're saying is an easier truth to swallow than what I think to actually be the case. Mm-hmm. You know, we live in a world that's super polarized, and at least here in America. Sure. And it's it's easy to completely discredit someone or mm-hmm. to, to, to try to discredit them based on something they've said, like online, when the really the reality is the world is so much more nuanced. Oh, absolutely. And and Sirius and, and Remus and even Hermione do a brilliant job of recognizing the nuance of what's going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but the, the Daily Prophet is this newspaper right. that is, is sort of in Fudge's pocket and they're colluding together to... Uh, keep quiet this story of Voldemort's return mm-hmm. and, and and they're disseminating this information. It's making Dumbledore's job much more difficult to stir up support against Voldemort and, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a time game because the longer Voldemort's around, he's gonna be building up his support at the same time. Right. And even though he's being subtle about it, it's 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 a it's a battle that's an active threat that's right. that's going on here as the uh-huh. longer they wait. Now we will talk a little bit more about that um what we can simplify by saying, you know, sort of tabloid versus mainstream media right. um, and the dissemination of, of quote unquote news. Um, the, um, the idea about presuming good intentions, I think is something that we should try to get, uh, attempt to make a takeaway from you know, yeah. as, 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 yeah. as, as how can we be better human beings when we hear somebody with a you know point of view or something like that that is so very different from our own rather than outright rejecting them yeah. and oh that's so wrong that's so bad that's so stupid that's so dumb which i hear all the time mm-hmm. um is what about presuming good intentions and attempting to see where that person might be coming from or right. you know at least make a small attempt before we'd make that quick leap to judgment oh it's so um, hard it would too. Be, oh it's incredibly hard i'm making it sound like there, it should all it should be it happen with it should happen with ease and it's not something that happens with ease no but especially I think when that, people are like are not they're overly confident in what they say online especially mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it comes across with this really proud voice or so, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I read something and and from people who I know personally uh-huh. as really kind, good people. Yeah. Who, if you ever had a conversation with them, they'd be just the most cordial and polite and, and sweet people. And if you ask them for a favor, they'd bend over backwards to do it. And then when they say something online that has some moral assertion to it, they sound horribly condescending yeah. and it just and it just rubs me the wrong way yeah oh, I've, I've seen that as well painful. that's why i stay off of social <laughs> media as much as i can i think it does it gives people this sort of a, um you know it's just you know there's this uh i think this this is a little bit of a tangent but it you know it, it insulates people quite a bit you know yeah. there's this You're insulated there's this, from the backlash right there's this sort of freedom like you know if you I'm surprised at how many people, if you're driving in your car and someone cuts you off and someone will flip you off, right. you know, and, and yeah, pretty vulgar expression there. And then, but if you're in the grocery store and someone cuts you off, you're not going to flip them off. You know what right. I mean? There's, you don't have that insulation <laughs> of most the, people. <laughs> of, uh, yeah. At least most people. So I think that the, then that what I'm trying to get at is that sometimes I think that social media puts this sort of protective barrier up. I can, I can say these things and be this person and I have relative relatively you know yeah, uh, low consequences low consequences especially if you're taking this. some moral high ground 
and uh, that's right. commonly accepted by the people in your circles. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's it's easy to easy to get carried away with that. But well, I was reading I, about you know right now what's happening is the there's a lot of backlash against the election and people mm-hmm. saying that there's a it's a stolen election and there's um, and I'm kind of watching this happening and really. I'm doing my best to try to understand what what it is that's you know what's driving these people to get out and protest and say you know this is this is wrong this is what I want to hear and I keep I'm looking at it I'm looking at it and saying I'm trying to presume good intentions and say what are what are you what what makes you think that it was a stolen thing and I don't know where to, where my where I'm at on that whole thing right. but I'm looking at it and trying to be as open-minded as I can sure. rather than going all in with them and say, yes, you're right. Or, Oh, you're ridiculous. I'm really attempting to try to find. Right. Um, so, and looking no. at people's past experience can be a great way to get into the bottom of, of what they're really like. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, um, in this story, you've got all these people who are part of the order of the Phoenix in the past. And so by default, because their actions have proven them to be, uh, admirable heroic type people uh, they're trusted and they're invited into this this order, order yeah. and shown their the headquarters location which is this super this very intense secret um, but it's it's you know the the same could be looking at past past experience other people's um the way that they tackle challenges Mm -hmm. is a good, is a good judge of that. And and it's useful to remember. I mean, even with this election, if we just think back, you know, eight years ago, the, the last heavily disputed election, the, the, uh, the Democrats did the same thing, you know? So yeah, the Republicans Mm -hmm. are going through their lawsuits and taking the, taking the, uh, they're heading to the process of trying to establish whether or not there was fraud and, Mm -hmm. and who knows, maybe there is, maybe there wasn't. But it's it's reasonable and acceptable for them to do so, and mm-hmm. we've got all these Democrats up in arms about it, and just accept it. And, <laughs> and I think I recall some some similar sentiments on the other yeah, side. I in know. The past. I think that we could probably play some <laughs> play some clips about people saying just just accept it. This <laughs> is just the way it is. Uh, Not versus, my president. Uh, yeah, like uh, play that uh, from a few years ago. It's just ago. kind of funny. And then you know, go back to the Bush Gore election. There was the, the disputed election there, and the, same thing happened. There, right, was, right. there was some lawsuits and some and some litigation and some recounts and you know right. things played out the way they did it's, well, that's what I was thinking about that was that one happening. where if we looked at if we looked if we went back to the Gore election and we <laughs> we played some sound bites of Republicans saying you just need to accept it this is what it is <laughs> this is the voice of the people this yeah, is what happened right, right. and we could replay those here in in 2020 yeah, it's easy when the public uh, opinion's on your side <laughs> so um, but uh, we digress just a bit yep. let's um if you want to talk a little bit more about the political element that is that Rowling seems to be con- uh, concerned with or at least uh, you know feels is worth looking at but, or we could move into looking at um, this idea of a uh, uh, mainstream media uh, and and the nuances of, yeah. of the way that we obtain our news versus sort of tabloid or mm-hmm. uh, so trying to avoid avoid the political a little bit here that there, there is the um, <laughs> there's this so we know very explicitly described in the book is what's happening with the Daily Prophet versus what's happening at the Quibbler which is uh, the magazine that's put out by they call her Looney Lovegood but she, you know her name's Luna and her dad is almost as eccentric and curious as she is yeah. and she her dad is the one who produces this other uh, magazine which is kind of a tabloid and you're never mm-hmm. you're very unclear about how much of what is being said by her is actually supposed to be true i mean hermione who knows more than just about anyone in this whole story is always baffled by what uh, <laughs> by, by luna yeah by luna and what she's uh-huh, saying it's right. just nothing that she says makes much sense to her well you called her the wise fool which i think is very very likely and i think that's how rowling sees her right i do anyway that's and so much of what opinion. she says ends up being exactly the case right right i yeah and through almost every book i see some kind of you know she's the one who sort of unwittingly sort of knows these deeper truths right. that, you know that and again that would be like you know people tend to discount her right exactly because I mean, she's Completely. weird you know uh-huh. but let's go back to the quibbler versus the daily prophet yeah so so the quibbler in this case is is kind of funny she, that magazine talks about a story or presents a story towards the beginning about how serious might be the victim rather than the villain maybe he's not this notorious mass murderer like the daily prophet's always trying to present him as is sort of the most wanted person in in their arena and the, the quibbler actually gives this totally ridiculous explanation for what might have happened at uh, James and Lily's murder or whatever that because um, because Sirius is supposed to have killed 
their other friend, Peter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Pettengrew, I think. Pettengrew, yeah. Yeah, but as you've come to find out in the pre- in um, the previous book, actually might have been two back, I think it was third year, uh, that, that Peter actually just turned himself into a rat. Into a rat and, sure. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah right, right. Became a rat <laughs> in more ways <laughs> <Yeah>. than one. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, <laughs> But anyway, so the Quibbler is completely wrong on the story. Like, but at the same time, if you zoom back a little bit and take the the more pullback approach, actually, they're more right than the prophet mm-hmm. by a mm-hmm. huge margin. And if you if you were to believe the Quibbler as an as a reader, you wouldn't actually be you would be perceived as a fool, but you would actually have a closer to reality view of the world. Right, right. and that is a powerful. Uh, that's a powerful thing to be to think about and mm-hmm. be aware of in this world of propaganda. Yeah, because yeah. obviously everyone knows what comes out of the media, and I'm coming into the real world stuff here. Uh-huh. But everyone knows what comes out of the media is slanted. It's never been sure. more obvious. Like, well, and it's always worth pointing out to people that it is. And remember, yeah. I work with young people, and I have to intentionally and explicitly point out bias because uh, you know, and it's not a diss on young people or anybody, but it's um. Many people don't understand that slant and don't right. understand that bias and just think they're getting news and don't realize that now the way you feel about that story in large part is the way it was presented. Yeah, and, so, and it's so subtle. Like, um, yeah, then, oh, it can be very, very subtle. Now, like, I, I tend to look at language because that's my arena, but mm-hmm. I look at the use of adjectives and the use of adverbs mm-hmm. um, that... To, to propel a story yes. forward, you know, controversial like, you know, psychologist, you know, Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Well, if you just say like, you know, <laughs> if they say something like, you know, if, if you say Trump puts uh, young people in cages versus Trump horrifically puts young children in cages, right. you have this like they, they mean two very different things. And the one is this is so sick and wrong, you know, horrifically. Right. Um, but you don't, you know, if you're just getting the news, and you would say, well, Trump is putting kids in which is even still simplifying I mean, even things, the, but the yeah the word cages is a loaded exactly is a loaded exactly word. so i tend to find those things and i try to share those with mm-hmm. the people the young people that i work with um but there are um there are courses in media literacy that didn't exist before because of the explosion of new sources um and i think that you know the poor schools are always you know, high schools and middle schools are always called upon to do more and more, teach more and more. No, no, right. you know what needs to be part of the curriculum is <laughs> social justice. You know what needs to be yeah. part of the curriculum is is much more math. You know, that it's always yeah, right. There's something. There's always that, more things you could always teach more from things school. you could teach. But the one that I could probably get behind if someone really forced me to would yeah. be the media literacy. So I try to bring that in just because. Didn't Young they used to spend... call that logic or uh, <laughs> critical thinking? I think those were classes that used to be part of school, wasn't it? <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, it, it, the basis of those of media literacy <laughs> is critical thinking, absolutely. Um, but uh, And I hope to bring critical thinking into... That's one of the reasons why I work with literature and love working right. with, with stories uh, as a vehicle for critical thinking. But um, but yeah. So I just think it goes. It, it's just worth mentioning mm-hmm. that what when we look at something and you know and and a lot of people look at things they they recognize that slant and that bias and they right. they understand that it's not just what's being said but how it's being said that that, that matters. And yeah. I think that you can look at, you know, I try to balance myself and try to get a a, a view, but I'm typically a fence sitter. On, uh, on a lot of things, you know what I mean? So I, I, I'm guilty of one thing, it's seeing too many points of view. So I will begin to, I, I can look at one new source which would identify as sort of a liberal source and then I would look at a little more of a conservative source and the truth, my truth lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and that's, I guess that's uh, that's a big takeaway from, from this story is that look, here's uh, the, the credible news source and the sort of incredible news source mm-hmm. and it's worth, it's worth, either being aware of both mm-hmm. and not completely discounting people and discounting a, um, a source, someone who's put energy into something to produce for the public, but also be aware that someone putting energy into something to produce for the public may have a reason behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of, and it takes a lot of effort to produce good writing, whether that be good um, reporting or mm-hmm. uh, newspapers or whatever. I, I mean, not that anyone reads papers anymore, but <laughs> there, there is a lot of effort to it. And yet um, it's so easy and so effortless to, to throw out strong opinions online mm-hmm. in small, mm-hmm. in small form, Twitter, like those things are, are so fast. And so, and so it's the, the odds um, 
I like to think of it in terms of a signal to noise ratio, mm-hmm. uh, like a radio when the, the actual information that might be going on mm-hmm. is, is generally inversely proportional to how much talk there is about it. Yeah. You know, the, the real noise that are the, the real signal is so hard to, to pick out through the noise mm-hmm. and it's worth being aware. It's, it's, it's worth considering. Like I, I really feel for, I feel for anyone trying to get into political science or trying to understand mm. what's really going on. And that's part of why our whole podcast, this is about these books. Like really right. it's about an- analyzing things that are fairly set. Like, right. yeah, there, there's a lot of interpretations of, of a piece of literature, but it's not, the literature itself isn't changing much. Mm-hmm. But the reality is trying to figure out what's actually going on in the political world, unless you're there, unless you're the science expert or a virologist, you don't know what's going on with COVID. Right, right. And you might have a different idea as one virologist from another. Right. And us us way out here on the fringes of that, we're getting so much noise in the signal uh, that it's impossible to really figure out what the signal is. Right. It can be, uh, it can be incredibly frustrating. Oh, gosh. And, you know, I think that, you know, trying to discover... Even at the very least, if people searched for another point of view, um, which is, again, what I think part of what Rowling's going with with yeah. the Quibbler and the Daily Prophet, because what happens, and we know this, is that you know Facebook and Twitter, and they're, they're going to feed you the kind of... Uh, the same narrative that you're used to exploring. Right. So if you're, if you're getting your quote-unquote news from... Uh, uh, strong conservative news sources. That's what you're going to be fed a steady yeah, diet of that, and you will not you will not get another point that of view. Echo and, chamber same, thing, right? It's just, and that, it's just a horrible oh yeah, that issue. Cre- right? That creates, I think, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, it's really great when we read something that that um, that r- aligns perfectly with our point of view, right. and it is disconcerting often when we see another well, point of view. Very uncomfortable, like ooh, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> to read and, something, and, and we want to reject it. that. But if people could put themselves in that uncomfortable position mm-hmm. of saying, you know what, there is another point of view out here. There is, you know, and presume those good intentions we talked about, right. and say, this is what the other point of view is. I'm not saying you have to be swayed, but it, it's so informative and can I think make mm-hmm. us move us forward in a much better way than just getting a you know barrage of our yeah. own po- you know <laughs> our own slant right yeah. right it's I guess uh, it that's can't why be school I guess that's why you're required to read uh, sad books in school right because <laughs> most people just wouldn't voluntarily pick them up on their own like who's gonna just pick up of mice and men for some light Sunday reading <laughs> it's like no but yeah you wouldn't it's uncomfortable but there's such richness in it and there's you know there's this other perspective that that offers it offers value to your life. Right. You know, <laughs> did, did you want to say anything more about uh, the idea of uh, tabloid versus mainstream medium? Or do you want to talk a little bit about uh, we can talk about that a little bit more or we can start moving into this idea of of loyalty? Yeah, um, let's, let's this, jump into loyalty. All right. I mean, I want to just mention Luna one more time as the archetype of the sort of the, the um, wise fool, wise fool because sure. that, that's going to come up a lot. And it's a pretty common motif. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so it is worth being aware of that with with her. And she says a few things also that are really on point later. But yeah, let's let's talk about loyalty. All because right, that's, let's do that. That's a huge question. So uh, I think the question we want to explore is, you know, where do our commitments lie and what commands our loyalty? What are the things that, uh, you know, um, and one of the things I'll throw out there is that our our blood, right, uh, which is the, yeah. what this novel is concerned with in a, a large part, uh, a very large part, actually, this mm-hmm. idea of mudbloods versus purebloods, uh, very clear metaphoric uh, ideas going on yeah, there, seriously. but um, but that's one bit of loyalty, you know, with this familial loyalty that we have a loyalty to our family just because they are our family. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so that's that's a, a really I love I love how Rawlings presents this because on one hand she she makes it really clear that your loyalty to your family is not the most important thing. Like, so, so Sirius Black is the example of that. His family is obviously uh, dark. Right. They're obviously in the wrong. They're very much aligned with Voldemort's views. She mm-hmm. doesn't pretend to, um, to glorify that family at all. In fact, Bellatrix, Sirius Black's cousin, is the one who kills him in the end. So mm-hmm. on one hand, you know that, that loyalty to the family and to the blood, to the genealogy, whatever, that's not the most important thing. But it's also not insignificant. Right. She doesn't discount it entirely because the Weasleys 
have this incredible family. They're a big, they're a big family. They got lots of siblings. They mm-hmm. love deeply. Mm-hmm. They care about it uh, so much. Um, Molly Weasley's the mom, and her her darkest fear that she gets to see in front of herself while she's trying to cast out the Bogart out of the um, the cabinet in the Black's room. And the, for those of you who don't remember the Bogart, it. Um, presents itself as the person's what they're most Greatest afraid of fear. sure right so what she sees is these visions of uh different members of her family dead lying in front of her mm. and even even the one of her son who she who is currently sort of estranged from the family who's voluntarily rejected percy mm-hmm. who's rejected them and what they believe um these images when when molly sees them are just tear her up inside sure. she breaks down she she is crying and can't can't actually get rid of the bog right she can't mm-hmm. convincingly uh use the the cast the spell ridiculous to uh to get rid of it and and so you see that the, this blood ties family itself has immense value mm-hmm. and molly and and mr weasley they're both uh, so uptight so emotionally reactant to even the mention of percy's name since he's rejected mm. them and and so you you see that it's not it's not cast aside without much pain and mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. much damage, uh, and maybe it's worth it. Like in the case of Sirius Black, it was it was worth it that he cast off his family right. and that he he sort of was disinherited. But with the Weasleys, it's clear that it wasn't a good thing, and, right. and Percy right. was is in the wrong here, and, and mm-hmm. he comes around, but. It's it's a it's this source of immense pain, and you know that there is some loyalty owed there. Mm-hmm. And um, I think of Sirius Black again with Harry; he's the godfather for Harry, so he's right. he's sort of taken on uh, Harry as a as a son of his own in some sense, mm-hmm. and he feels mm-hmm. very tied to him. And he ends right. up sort of giving his life for Harry at the end of this one when he goes to rescue him. Right. And I, I think Rowling does a great job of exploring both sides of this, yeah, right? By right. both the uh, the negative, which would be like you know like a rejection of a negative uh, family, and the rejection of a positive family. I'm simplifying it, but right. but um, I'm thinking too about Draco, you know, and his yeah. family. And uh, his family and connection a, kind of ends up saving the day in some sense. So you know, he's he struggles with that too. How yeah. much do you know? I I need to do this for my father. I need to. This is who I am. This is you know. Um, so. It's it's certainly worth noting that we are very much you know that's very a really much good a connection. Because Draco's mom is related to the Blacks. I think that was his sister. That's yes, I think you're right. Yeah. I, or so she's the one who ends up telling Voldemort that Harry is dead when he wasn't. And it yeah. creates this moment for Harry to, to jump out of Hagrid's arms right in front of the whole crowd and, and sort of come back to life. And uh and she that is this because Harry saved her son when he didn't have to. All right. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I mean, she's explored this through the whole. Now you just fast forwarded a little yeah, bit yeah, to our through <laughs> a couple of movies. There. Yeah, we're going to we, we thought we would use this one today as sort of a you know, somewhat of a recap of the first books slash movies. And then uh, at a later date in a right. few weeks, a couple of weeks, uh, uh, come back and look at the last two books slash last yep. three movies. Um, so that's why when I said Josiah just fast forwarded, uh-huh. he fast forwarded to that later podcast, but that's totally fine. So um, hold so on, another, uh, back another to loyalty. Yeah, back family. to loyalty. Yeah. Well, what do you think about uh, the loyalty to one's government? Because that's ah. explored <laughs> this one a little bit too uh, with, with the way Umbridge talks about her place as the ministry, the way she threatens Dumbledore as a traitor, mm-hmm. um, and and that that loyalty to the Ministry of Magic as an institution is is sort of used as a bit of a bit of a bludgeon in this one, right. although it doesn't necessarily that that way it doesn't necessarily have to be. Well, I think that there's there's certainly some to me anyway, some warnings. And you talked about this earlier, Josiah off mic, but the idea of this, uh, the dangers and these signs that we see of tyrannical authority, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, when we look at loyalty to a government, um, are we being loyal because we're being governed by a tyrant, which seems to be umbrage has many of the elements of a, a tyrant. Um, my way or the highway kind of thing. Again, I'll, I'll simplify it, but she's, uh, you know, instills all kinds of, uh, of rules. Um, um, she adjusts existing rules to fit her own agenda. Um, she rules with an iron fist. There's no real room for argument or there's no r- room for questioning this authority. 
Um, and I know, and I think most people would understand that if there is no room for a questioning of authority or a questioning of, um, of, of governance, um, then we're really not free at all. Right. Um, so I think that, um, you know, if one's, so what is one's loyalty to one's government? I think it, uh, it's a tough one. Um, cause in some sense also the Harry's loyalty to Dumbledore as the authority of, uh, Hogwarts is is glorified in in mm-hmm. quite a few uh, ways, not just in this story, but it's actually a little bit more so in when um, the Chamber of Secrets, when Phoenix uh, the Phoenix comes and saves him. I, I think Dumbledore says says something to the effect of, uh, <clears throat> you know, what, if, as long as there's support, it's like as long as you're, there's loyalty, there'll always be. I wish I, I'm not even going okay. to push that quote too bad. <laughs> okay. But there's that the loyalty to Dumbledore is explored, and, mm-hmm. and the Order of the Phoenix is fiercely loyal to him. Right, and like, like and the Order of the Phoenix is fiercely him. loyal to each other too. To each so other, there's yes. this. Uh, so yeah, there's this idea of loyalty. You just kind of your question to me and um, it was that was about what's our loyalty to our government? I right. think is what you were talking mm-hmm. about, and that's a much more difficult one to answer than right. to what's our loyalty to our. I think in this instance, Rawling is is a bit critical of of the government loyalty, Uh given that the government has uh, intrinsic motivations that aren't necessarily in line with what's best for individuals. I think that's very well said. Yeah. Yeah, So they they tend to consider what's what's best for the the, the nation as a whole. Mm -hmm. And in that that instance, it makes Fudge a little more particularly vulnerable to the story that maybe Harry's just lying because it's such a better outcome for the whole nation if Voldemort's not back. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's easier to sacrifice one kid (laughs) than than have to cop up to that reality. It's safer, right? Yeah, for for sure. Anyway. Yeah, um, so we talked about loyalty to family. We talked about loyalty to... uh, to government and what what uh, forces drive that other aspects of loyalty or commitments um i think love i mean mm-hmm. like love specifically as as sort of the grounding for loyalty mm-hmm. um it's probably what's she glorifies more than anything uh i know yeah. you could see that in in harry with his friends you know they're yeah. they're thick as thieves the three of them right and that is a driving force that throughout the whole series is, is right. Harry saving grace many times over mm-hmm. and thus the world right. saving grace. And, and yeah, I think that, yeah, love conquers all, right. I think is, uh, is definitely in there. Um, even his mother who right. saved him from, Rebounded the curse. Right, from out of sheer love was, was what stopped the, the strongest, darkest thing possible. Right. So, um, yeah, I think she absolutely is, a is, a, a fan of love. Um, We've talked about a little bit about um, Harry's loyalty to Dumbledore um, mm-hmm. and how that's developed and how um, you know how fiercely loyal he is to Dumbledore and how those loyalties you know come to be. Um, there is an interesting part in that in this um, book though, where he has a hard time at one point where he he, he finds himself for the first time. Do you remember this of? Uh, having a sort of a hatred for yeah, Dumbledore. Yeah, he really snaps at him hard right. out of nowhere. Yeah. And he gets he look and he looks at him and there's a part where Dumbledore won't, won't make eye contact with him either and won't, you know. So right. so there's this loyalty that I I don't want to maybe go so far as to say it's tested, but it is I guess maybe you yeah, could say that. Yeah, right? it's tested. Yeah, so uh so what is it that uh what is it that uh, allows Dumbledore to pass the test, so to speak, with Harry from from this person? Like that, he looks at him like, I kind of want to kill this guy. I want right. to, and you I know, wanna, in that you know, moment, that it's it's Voldemort who is sort of accessing Harry's emotions mm-hmm, in that moment. So mm-hmm. he's experiencing a little bit of Voldemort's hatred, mm-hmm. um, and you're not really sure whether that's. It's it's kind of melded. It's kind of blended with Harry's own bitterness. Right. And I, yeah. I almost would argue that it's not entirely Voldemort. No, uh, definitely not just, entirely. You know, because there is an innate part of Harry that is that it has, and an innate part of all of us, <laughs> I yeah. dare say, yeah. that is uh, that's in there, buried or not, buried right. or latent, it is there. So, um, but uh, yeah, go ahead. What what is it that makes uh, Dumbledore pass the test, so to speak? Yeah. I don't, I don't, because I think it speaks to loyalty. Um, you know, I'm not sure about in that in that particular moment, other than the fact that Dumbledore in that in that moment, I think he kind of recognizes that he's pushed Harry too far in, in uh-huh. ignoring him, and that it's it's time that his his attempt at ignoring him for the sake of sparing him pain was mm-hmm. 
ultimately a failure that it didn't work yeah. and the, and he kind of shifts tactics at that point perfect and, and sort of inc- yeah. started including him including him and just sh- he shows with his actions that he wasn't ignoring him out of any malicious intent mm-hmm. uh, although that was the obvious answer right. you know it, it would seem like dumbledore was irritated with him about something right. he just so intentionally avoids him i was thinking how when you just explain that example, it comes back, or when you explain that, it just reminded me again of that importance of self-awareness. And mm-hmm. here's Dumbledore saying, wait a minute, I've pushed him too far. This probably wasn't the right way to do it. And and Dumbledore is never really afraid to say, I did the wrong thing, or I right. kind of messed up, or that wasn't the best choice. Um, that is such a great message for all of us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, man, we get so committed to our responses and uh um, and, and, yeah. and, and this idea of not wanting to admit failure or weakness or that so we were wrong. It's much easier to act like fudge. Oh, my God. Just, <laughs> right. just go until, until right, Voldemort's right. standing in front of us. We can't possibly <laughs> deny our own error anymore. And then by then it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> so to answer my question, my own question about where it is, uh, I think that Harry sees that. Like I see this as genuine person mm-hmm. that uh, admitted he was wrong or that, you know, or yeah. that is, is willing to change and do things differently as a result of, you know, my input and my actions, you know, it's like, uh, it's not this, uh, it's not a one-sided relationship. There's a reciprocity that's there. Is. there. there and is. I think that, that, that is where loyalty, I think reciprocity that's, yeah. and loyalty. So that's a great you know, what is your that. government doing for you? Um, will help you be more loyal to the government. <laughs> if there's something that you're, there's right. something that's happening, you know, for you, if you're sure. feeling disenfranchised or that there's, um, that there's nothing that your government is doing for you, then that's where you have no loyalty to that government right. at it gets all. Hard. It gets hard to, to give them the benefit of the doubt like right. we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. that you know, maybe they have your best interests in mind and maybe right. they don't. Maybe they don't, you know, sure. And that, that is clearly the case with Umbridge, you know, and that kind of leads us into this sort of last theme or one of the last themes here is, you know, what, what sets apart a good authority from from pathological authority mm. what, what sets a cr- apart the tyrant from the, the good king right. uh is sort of an archetypal phrasing of mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. And you have this comparison between dumbledore and the way he runs the school yes and umbridge and the way she runs the school right and uh and it really puts a puts a very clear finger on uh the difference between between a good leader and a bad leader mm-hmm. And I think one of those key things is just that, like a good leader actually has, has those underneath him, their best interest in mind Mm -hmm. and will, will do what is best in their interest, even at the cost of their own personal. So Mm -hmm. Dumbledore, Mm -hmm. uh, takes the rap for Harry as he sort of starts his own little club for teaching kids defense against the dark arts because he recognizes that they're not learning anything. And Umbridge clearly doesn't have their best interests in mind. So he goes a little bit rebellious here and starts this club. And Dumbledore, when <clears throat> once it gets discovered, Dumbledore comes along and says, "Yes, yes. I organized that." <laughs> right, right. See, it's not Harry's army; it's Dumbledore's army. <laughs> and, right. and then he, you know, of course, he he actually can take that because no one's going to stop him. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right. so he kind of gets Harry off the hook with that. He does, yeah. Even at the cost of a, a continued cost of his own credibility, and that's actually so. There's another detail that's in the book that's not in the movie that's significant. Dumbledore, while he's going around trying to raise support and trying to bring more people into the order of the order of the phoenix he gets um, and while fudge is trying to discredit him they take away his order of merlin first class which is like this big award mm. this big public award it's like a nobel mm-hmm. prize yeah. of sorts and they take it away from him and, or, and strip him of yeah, his yeah they honor. strip him of this honor and they they remove him from the position in the wizard gamut which is like this you know the collection of high powerful wizards uh-huh. is kind of a governing body they they're they're pulling their doing what they can do publicly to make it seem like he's no longer a, uh, he's no longer the authority that he should be. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't phase Dumbledore one bit. <laughs> I, and I love that. I just yeah, love that. Yeah. He's so focused on what matters right. that he doesn't care what he looks like publicly mm-hmm. because he knows what's important. And it's the greater good, right? It I mean, is. That's what, that's and he'll where sacrifice himself to. to the greater good right. time and again. And he does. Right. right. I mean, he'll, also sacrifice other people to the greater good, That's which true. is, you know, the, the sign of a great general, but it's a bit more ethically great. I was going to say there's our watch. ethical area <laughs> again, coming back to our issues with, we talked about the Ender's Game and the ethical mm-hmm. uh, issues that are at play there. Um, but but I, I love, I love that he's not, he doesn't ask anyone else to do something he wouldn't. Uh, that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, 
Yeah, I think that there. You've said it all very well. I'm just kind of rephrasing what you're saying, but this idea that you know, putting these two forms of "quote unquote" government side by side, the way that Dumbledore leads and runs Hogwarts versus the way that Umbridge does, it's very clear for the reader where dangers lie. Yeah. And, what do you uh, see in Umbridge that, like, how how would you put a finger on on her the the pathological way that she operates Hogwarts? The uh, it, it's just the exact the, what I see most clearly is if we talk about the greater good, Umbridge has no concern with the greater good. Um, for her, the silencing of uh, opposing voices is much more important than the the greater good. Now there could be a pathological reason that she thinks that that would be uh, for the greater good to keep peace, to keep everybody in line. Right. Um, I, I'm not really buying that, but that could possibly be why she the acts the way that she does of a greater um, good. But uh, but I think in the end, it is a it's a power hungriness. Um, it's a um, it's a desire to maintain a point of view without any kind of uh, um, uh, questioning of that point of view. Right. It's very controlling. Um, very controlling. Very, uh, you know, it, it keeps order. Right. right. I mean, kind of if extreme. You look at a, yeah. If you look at a country like Singapore, you know, they have some of the most draconian laws ever, but. It works, you know what I mean. They right. have very extremely yeah. low crime. There's no pollution. You know, there's a, so. Um, but but if you uh, you know litter, you know you get ten lashes with a cane. So I mean it's a. So I mean there's some truth to the idea that that uh, that running or governing like that can actually cause you know th- th- have less. Uh, uprisings and less yeah, democracy uh, okay. is fairly new and it's a bit messy but yeah. <laughs> chaotic uh, as we're <laughs> more and more discovering but uh but yeah i mean despots have historically ruled with uh fairly long you know for long periods of time right somewhat right. effectively so um uh, but I, I i i'm i'm convinced that rowling is saying this is not the way to govern and this is not the mm-hmm. way to lead and this is uh and that uh uh, tyrannical authority is probably the worst kind of authority that we can right. uh, that we can succumb to. Yeah, and I love that um, George and uh, what's his brother Fred and George uh-huh. are sort of the the elements to chaos that counteract um, Bridges. Uh, attempts at controlling everything. Right, right. You know, they just will not be tamed. Uh-huh. And they're, and their characters are the, <laughs> right. my favorite in the oh, story. Oh, they are. They're great. And yeah. so they finally, <laughs> they finally shrug off the system as a whole and they say, nope, we're going to build a joke shop. Yep, we're going to do a joke <laughs> shop. I love that. I just love that. Oh, it's great. And, and I think and that's... And to find it hugely successful it is, too is, is hilarious. In the next uh-huh. book, it becomes, it's Diagon Alley becomes a ghost town. It's right. thriving. Except you know for <laughs> the, their joke Except shop. Except for the joke shop. Which is, you know, <laughs> A whole discussion of its own, but the, the, <laughs> the idea that maybe maybe comedy is the antidote for uh, for tyranny <laughs> on some level. But I think that uh, um, like what you said, that they do represent this chaos versus order and that maybe chaos is not such a, you know, talk about a word that has negative connotations. Seriously. Um, that's, if, if we think about it, it's not so bad. No. Chaos gosh. is not a... Uh, not only is, is it not, not a bad, we, there's this quote by someone who I don't know who it is, and I'm going to butcher the quote too. But I'm going to get the gist of it. I do that all the time. Yeah, <laughs> this is a quote by somebody <laughs> that I'm going to paraphrase poorly, but here it is. But here it is. The idea is that if if humans, if we somehow managed to set up a utopia for ourselves where everything went beautifully and and everything was love and harmony, and all we had to do was busy ourselves with eating, drinking, and uh, pr- propagating the species, then the first thing someone would do is throw a wrench in the system just to have something interesting to talk about it's like we're, we're not so beings true. meant to live in order right we're beings yeah. meant to navigate right between that fine line right, between right. utter chaos and and utter order like right, we don't right. we're, we're kind of negotiating that and that's what oh it's a life. constant it's, back it's and forth yeah it's a constant um a creation of chaos and trying to emerge from chaos into order. Yep. I mean, it's simultaneously churning all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of like the, that's, I mean, that's the, the summary of the hero's journey in a sentence, right? Hero encounters chaos, goes out into it, brings back something of value and creates more order yeah. and does it again. <laughs> <laughs> Repeat. Repeat, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Uh-huh. Well, I think that that might be a good place to wrap up unless you want to say a couple more things. We did say we would try to, come back to uh, Potter again and, and our love of Rowling and, and her storytelling and her, her brilliance. Yeah. Um, so 
Um, yeah, I think the next time we'll take a look at, um, as I said, the last two books, which would be the last three movies, and we'll kind of mm-hmm. blend the two for people yeah. who have read and for who have uh, who've watched the movies. Great stories. They're all super profound. Um, just before we before we close out on this one, want to hit again on, on what our takeaways are mm-hmm. as we're going into this next week, things to think about. And uh, I'll, rather than springing the question on you, Steve, I'll, I'll jump into the one that I've got in mind. Sure. And it's uh, there's this scene where they're cleaning house in the Black's uh, family and at the black family mansion and they're uh they're basically just throwing all this stuff into trash bags and these are like family heirlooms and creature the house elf who's been around a long time is this amazingly powerful uh, house elf is trying to salvage these things because these were the treasures of his master so his black Sirius's mom uh-huh. these were all of her little treasures and every one of them have have curses on them so <laughs> and you're you're exposing yourself to danger to even come in contact with these treasures and uh, because they are valuable and there's kind of to keep it from getting stolen and mm-hmm. keep people from using it. But anyway, one by one, they're just throwing them into the, into the trash. And you get this attitude, you, you sense this attitude from Sirius that all of this stuff is just meaningless. And they, at some point, they pull out this this medal that has an award and it's, one of the, it's an Order of Merlin First Class Award, which uh-huh. is this big prestigious right. thing. And he just chucks it in the bin. And he goes, yeah, I had some uncle who did something, whatever. And I think he just... I I think he just gave him a bunch of money you know like he mm. the, all of these treasures he realizes are are, are symbols and um they're they're artifacts of a of a past that he's rejecting uh. artifacts of a family and and values that he doesn't want any part of mm-hmm. and and despite the fact that they are valuable he recognizes them for for being worse than worthless mm. you know like they're they are a a detriment they're a danger to the health of anyone else there. Mm-hmm. And the, he sees them as, as utterly worthless. Wow. And I think yeah. that's my takeaway, you know, after that scene is, is I'll, I recognize my need for, for self-awareness and being willing to let go and recognize things uh-huh. that are actually worthless, even though I may see them as a treasure, yeah. recognizing that as actually worthless. Right, right. Um, and some of the, sometimes those things that I care most about are the ones that are the hardest to, to get rid of, but they also what's holding me back mm-hmm. from doing what I know is meaningful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the, the openness, the willingness to sacrifice those things um, is is part of what will allow me to be who I need to be at any given time. And also to, to protect the things that are valuable, like the people around me and those relationships. Mm -hmm. And so trying to think of a really, uh, a tangible example, you know, I'm just such an eclectic person. I like to do a lot of things. (laughs) He is. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) So I've always got two or three hobbies that I want to do. I always want to build things or do that, but, but I'm, (laughs) realizing that I can't like, uh, I have to be willing to sacrifice some of these things I really care about. Mm -hmm. Like, um, uh, Halo. I love playing Halo. It's Mm kind of like my one, my one video game vice. Uh Uh, It's the, it's the only one I've ever really gotten into. And, and the the more I come along, the more I realize I don't have any time. Like I can't dedicate any time to this Uh because there's other things that are more worthwhile. You know, like I just can't, I can't give it the time. Mm -hmm. And, 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 my my hour in the evening watching movies is kind of starting to go that wayside. Mm-hmm, my mm-hmm. my sense for my desire for a peaceful existence in my house mm-hmm. is is going by the wayside as I as I have my first kid here pretty soon. <laughs> that's right, you know, and, and like, that's an understatement, right? <laughs> right, and I, and I love those things. There's nothing that's wrong a, with no, a peaceful, a, quiet yeah, house. Oh, so you're going you're going to go from. Uh, 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 order to chaos <laughs> yeah, real quick right, it's right. going to be one and it's going to be great um, but I think that you you know what you're talking about is something that that you know many att- intelligent and thoughtful people realize after a while or don't to their detriment yeah, right. that um, and it and it comes back to self-awareness is this serving me um, does this is this uh, moving me forward in a way that I want to go um, you know I we all have our things that we like to do. We all have our own halos that we that we mm-hmm. do, and, and a lot of times it's 
we realize, no, I absolutely need that in order to, you know, maintain sanity in this kind of crazy world. Right. Or, you know what, I can let that go or this is getting in the way of a relationship or this is getting in the way of other work that I think is more important. Yep. But it bring, brings us back again to this issue of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. I, I unfortunately meet a lot of people that just sort of let life happen, let life happen to them. Yeah. And they're almost like they're sort of victims of circumstance and that, that, you know, this is the hand I was dealt and therefore, and they're almost like, you know, like lacking agency in their own life. So what you're talking about, and I think what Rowling advocates is an absolute, you know, self-advocacy and and, and self-awareness that will lead you to self-advocacy. So I'm constantly thinking about what I do and why I did it and what would be better and what could be, you know, and, and, you know, I think that's worthwhile thinking. And I think that I continue to strive to be a better person on a daily basis. And I'm not successful all all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm unsuccessful at being a better person a lot of times. So, uh, but it doesn't stop my journey from trying to be a better person and trying to still use the tools of self-awareness and the critical thinking is valuable. In and <laughs> of itself, the sure. striving is valuable. Right. So, underst- you know, and I think bringing that back to Harry Potter, I think that's my biggest takeaway is under, you know, looking at his self-awareness that he's really coming to terms with that I am this person mm-hmm. and I have these friends and I have these loyalties, but I also have this in my life, which is this part of Voldemort that is within me right. and I need to navigate that for whatever that whatever that means and that the, what that means changes throughout the books and movies and we're going to come to the our final conclusion about what that really you know mm-hmm. his his ultimate conclusion but anyway that's my big takeaway is, yeah, this, that's uh, a good is one. this love of um of anyone who's willing to explore the 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 beauty and messiness of being self-aware yeah right and he's uh the intentionality with which harry potter uh builds his identity yeah, you know, there's there's something really you, you see, especially in the books, how very consciously he chooses who to associate with. Right. He decides to have to keep people around as friends. He decides to trust people. Right. He decides to to start this little class because he knows that Voldemort's there, right. and someone's got to teach these people to. Right. Even if I'm not any good at it, someone's got to teach them something. Right. You know, and he decides to to reject. Uh, certain parts of, of who he is and he decides to take on the Weasleys as family. Right, yeah. And, you know, all those things all incredibly things. intentional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's really, again, speaking to the brilliance of of Rowling is that this changes as Harry ages. You know yeah. what I mean? Like what he's capable of doing as a young boy. Um, I mean, what we see that happened in this last book w- w- was not something that he would be able to do as a young person. Right. So we see this in, it was really brilliant and real evolution of Harry as a, as a person that, that, that natural, um, and natural wisdom that occurs with age. And, uh, it, it's, it, I think to me, it's just really brilliant that he is so appropriate in where his decisions are made and his intentionality, mm-hmm. depending on where he is in his life. Yeah. And, the, and, the inner voice that, that those inner dialogue that he, uh, uses with himself mm-hmm. changes throughout the years too. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. It's so appropriate the the struggles that he has. You know? Right. When yeah. he's, you hear him talking to, or thinking to himself about how much on one hand, yeah, he did these great things and I should be a, the, the, a prefect, but I'm not. And, yeah. and you know, all the insecurities that results from that. But at the same time, he also recognizes when he's starting this club that, you know, I, I did these great things, but mostly it was luck and, yeah. and I couldn't never have done it without Hermione and Ron Absolutely. And, and the people around me. So there's this, there's this real honesty with his yeah. dialogue that Absolutely. I think facilitates that growth. I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. What a, what a great character. Great stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Super fun. We'll delve into it more at a later date. Sounds great. Well, thank you for joining us this week on Truth and Fiction. Looking forward to catching you next time. Take care, everyone.